0: Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just pull the arm. Do I not get headphones? You know when you go to Radio 1, you get headphones as well. Roster Academy's budget didn't extend to... How much are they paying you to rent this
1: equipment from you? Hello, my name's Dom, and this is your guide to making it through med school. It's Redwood 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 Ramblers! hello you've reached redwood ramblings i'm your host dom and today we will be discussing head injuries so you've found us once again it's lovely to have you listening just a reminder if you've got any questions if you've got any suggestions if you want to hear anything specific on the podcast then please email in redwood at gmail.com let's get on with the podcast. We have got a special guest on the podcast. It's long awaited. He's finally here. Please introduce yourself. Harry Chapman. No. (laughs) Chad. (laughs) It's Chad. Dr. Chad McEwen. You are a doctor, aren't you? Um, I used to be. And now I do this. (laughs) Um, Right, Chad. You've not listened to the podcast because you don't care for it. don't have a Spotify account. You don't have to have an account, and you can also listen to it on Apple Podcasts, but that's fair enough. Good plug, thank you. <laughs> you might not be aware that I ask everyone on the podcast, what did you have for dinner last night? I made some
0: courgette tulumi and chilli fritters. They were nice. Uh, but controversially, I put... Um, so you make this like honey chilli dressing. It was nice, but I put lemon zest in the dressing, as as was the recipe's requirements. But that did make it taste a little bit like having pancakes with kind of sugar and lemon on, which is a bit weird.
1: Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Um Chad, what are we covering today? I thought we could
0: talk about head injuries.
1: Head injuries. They sound fascinating.
0: They are. And I'm one of the commonest presentations to ED every year. So we see one point four million cases of head injury every year in emergency departments in the UK.
1: Wow, that is quite something. So hopefully you've brought some questions along. I have. I've got three. Can we have a listen to those questions and then hopefully we'll cover how to answer those questions at some time later in the podcast and then we'll come back to them at the end.
0: Question one. 23-year-old man presents to ED after a night of drinking. Two hours earlier, he fell from standing and was knocked unconscious. Friends reported he had two minutes of seizure-type activity which self-resolved before waking. He walked into the department and is keen to return home. Primary survey and A2A a examination are unremarkable, other than a 2cm lacer- superficial laceration to his right temporal region. GCS is 15 and he has no focal neurology. What is the appropriate next step in his management? Number two, an 84-year-old lady admitted from a nursing home had an unwitnessed fall whilst mobilising to the bathroom. She has dementia and is unable to record the events of the fall. She is anticoagulated for AF. She is distressed. A primary survey and A to E examination reveal no significant signs of injury. What is the next step in management? Then question three. A 32-year-old female presents to ED following a fall two days earlier whilst walking her dog. She recalls tripping down a muddy bank. Initially, she felt well, so did not present to ED. She now presents with a 12-hour history of pain in her neck and a mild headache that is not resolved with simple analgesia. She has no pain on lateral rotation of the neck and no midline C-spine tenderness. Her A to E and neurological assessment are unremarkable. Her GCS is 15 and a phondoscopy was also unremarkable. What is the next step in her management?
1: Thank you, Chad. We're gonna cover go for head injuries, head trauma today. So first of all, we'll just introduce the case that we might be able to refer back to, and then we'll get on with covering what we need to cover. So we've got a 79-year-old male who was admitted from a nursing home. He's got a background of dementia, atrial fibrillation, and hypertension. He's admitted due to an unwitnessed fall. He was found on the floor by the care staff. He was quite distressed and agitated. He is hemodynamically stable, but he does have a large right frontotemporal hematoma. So that's our case. So, Chad, where do we start when we're talking about head injuries? I think, kind of
0: controversially, one of the first things you do when you f- have a patient presenting with a head injury is generally worry about their neck. So, C-spine injuries can be absolutely devastating. I think most of us are familiar that if someone has fallen over, particularly if you're thinking in the street, someone's fallen over... Everyone panics about the C-spine and thinks about immobilising the C-spine. Kind of a good rationale to that. We don't want to move them too much. We don't want to cause any further trauma. We don't want to cause any injury to the spinal cord. So in these patients, one of the first things we do when you're assessing them is to think about clearing the C-spine. So for this guy, he's 79, he's confused. And the question is, are we able to clear his C-spine clinically? Generally, if you think about a patient in A&E who's up and walking if they're well and they're talking to you they could tell you if they had any pain in their neck but for our patients who are confused who are agitated who are unconscious they would be unable to tell us if they had any pain in their neck so the rule and national guidance is if a patient is unable to verbally communicate with you if that's due to them being unconscious or confused you're not able to clinically clear their C-spine So then you would approach that case as if they had a C-spine injury and you would kind of move on accordingly. So for this chap, 79 confused, unable to clear the C-spine clinically, we would um, approach his case as if he had a C-spine injury and possible head injury and we would go from there.
1: Okay, so when we're talking about treating him as if if he has a C-spine injury, is this when we see the the, the collars come out, when we immobilise that head and immobilise that, that cervical spine?
0: Yeah, so that's absolutely the guidance for many years was always if there was any remote suspicion of a C-spine injury. So that could be a significant mechanism of injury. And by significant mechanism of injury, I mean falling from over a metre in height. If there's been a significant road traffic collision, so if they've been in a high-speed collision, if they've been hit by a car or in a car that has crashed and come to a standstill from a high velocity or if they have kind of multiple other injuries then yeah historically we would always apply blocks to immobilize immobilize the c-spine so that'd either be a collar or blocks either side of the head nowadays the guidance has slightly changed so we're a little bit more hesitant to immobilize patients c-spine and really that's because c-spine immobilization is not a benign procedure there are significant risk of associated morbidity and even mortality if you would immobilize perceived c-spine injuries either pre-hospitally or in in the hospital what i'm trying to say is the guidance now is consider immobilizing the c-spine But if that patient could protect their own C-spine, so if they're happy to lay kind of flat with their head looking upwards, um, you might consider just allowing them to do that and putting some kind of soft rolls of towels or something either side of their head just to encourage them to not move. But if they're unable to do that, so if the patient was unconscious, we would probably consider immobilizing their C-spine. Okay, thank you, Chad. I
1: think it's about time we took a little visit to our old friend, the Redwood Riddler. Hello, I am Harry the Redwood Riddler.
0: You may have seen some of my work up on the notice board in Redwood. I am here
1: on the podcast to deliver further riddle to you. Redwood Riddler, what is your riddle today?
0: Here's a riddle. What
1: is so fragile that saying its name breaks it? We'll come back to him and find out what the answer is shortly. We've discovered whether or not they've got a c spine injury where do we go from there following we've immobilized or we've allowed we've we've encouraged them uh, to be able to protect the c spine the next thing which is essentially
0: imaging so we want to establish if he has got a c spine injury and if he's got a head injury so our next kind of thought process is going to be looking at doing some imaging okay so how are we imaging the c spine so essentially there are three imaging modalities for the C-spine. X-rays, CTs, MRI scans. Generally, if you're doing a CT scan of the head, you would do a C, and you were worried about the C-spine, you would also CT scan the C-spine. Occasionally, we consider doing plain X-rays of the C-spine, there's a special view we do, uh, lateral and AP views, and also a peg view, which looks really strange, so they get the just patient to open their mouth and just try and capture the, the peg of C2. Generally nowadays, the the guidance is to do a CT of the neck, because as an imaging modality, X-rays are not that, um, well, not as sensitive. So even if you don't work in an emergency department, you will see head injuries whatever ward you work on. If that's psychiatry or surgery there are always going to be patients who are falling over and hitting their head and you often do as the junior get that phone call often at night that a patient's fallen and then you need to come and assess them so if you've cleared that C-spine then you could look at assessing the head so head assessment, feeling around the head checking to see there's no obvious kind of depressed skull fractures or any signs of um, any kind of facial bone fractures so things we would be worried about looking at the patient and assessing the patient signs of a depressed skull fracture would be things like a hemotympanum so any blood coming out the ear pander eyes or any kind of CSF leak from either the nose or the ear or battle sign that's um, bruising behind the mastoid process so we've assessed the patient we've we've, okay there's no obvious signs of um, head injury or c-spine injury but now we need to think about okay what are the criteria for doing a CT head scan in these patients there is national guidance, so NICE has its own national guidance and is essentially age-dependent. So for under-16s, that's, that's child CT head guidance, and for over-16s, that's kind of adult CT head guidance. So for a over-16-year-old who has sustained a head injury, they recommend doing a CT head within one hour if a patient has any one of the following risk factors. So within one hour, if their GCS score is 12 or less on the initial assessment in the emergency department or if you're seeing that patient on the ward. If the GCS score is less than 15, so that's normal. So if their GCS score is less than normal after two hours from the initial head injury, if they have a suspected open or depressed skull fracture, any sign of a basal skull fracture, so we just talked about those, so haematympanum, panda eyes, signs of CSF leakage, battle sign, if they had any signs of post-traumatic seizure, if there was any focal neurological deficits that's irrelevant of the time, so if there's any neurological deficit whatsoever, you would do a CT head. Or, and this is slightly new- newer um, updates, if they've had more than one episode of vomiting.
1: Wow, okay. There's quite a few to remember. There is. But it's definitely worth remembering them. We're getting those people a scan urgently, mm-hmm. so within an hour, so that's something we need to worry about. Absolutely. So what about after an hour? Can we are we getting people uh, other people's CT scans? Is there a different so there time frame? Yeah.
0: So if a patient presents after so a delayed presentation of CT um sorry, a delayed presentation of, of head injury, you would use those same risk factors. So if they had any of those risk factors we've just talked about, then you would still do the CT head scan. Most hospitals, so for example, in this trust, if they present um if there's a delayed presentation, we would look for those risk factors. But generally, if it's been more than a couple of hours and they've now got a normal GCS, no neurology and no signs of any kind of intracerebral bleed,
1: um, then we would be happy to safety net and discharge those patients. Okay, so our gent, he's an older man. He's got a hematoma. Is that something that you'd suspect is a um, skull fracture? Is that a sign of a skull fracture? I think you
0: would definitely worry about it. So kind of a large hematoma, it probably, depending on the mechanism, he's fallen from standing, you would hope it is just a hematoma, so just a big bruise, but there's always the potential, particularly in a large hematoma, that that could represent
1: um, a skull fracture. Okay, so we go to this gent. We're happy that this is maybe just a hematoma, not too sure. He's normally quite agitated. We look looking through his medications. He's got AF, and actually, turns out he's on a he's on a DOAC, so he's on an anticoagulant. Um, does that change our management at that this point?
0: It does. So the guidance for this actually changed last year, 2023. There was new nice CT head guidance, and it used to be the case that any patient who fell whilst taking an anticoagulant, the indication was do a CT head scan so the guidance was updated last year and now the guidance is consider doing a ct head scan for patients on an anticoagulant or an antiplatelet the only exclusion to the antiplatelet is for patients taking an aspirin monotherapy
1: thank you chad now we had a nice riddle earlier if you remember it was what is so fragile that even saying its name breaks it
0: The answer to that last riddle was not Dom's ego, I'm afraid. The answer was
1: silence. Well, the Redwood Riddler had a good run, didn't he? Until he got a bit too big for his boots and started spouting off about Dom's ego. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, so I, I'm quite happy I know when to image my adults with a to get a CT head on my adults. And you mentioned earlier that we maybe got some different guidelines for children. Yeah, so the
0: guidance for children is different. The criteria are different. The important thing to note is children who are under 10, generally if they've had injury, injury, um, they're probably going to be quite distressed and they're probably going to be operative. So it's felt in, in that age group. So then, again, we're not able to clinically find clinically. So you would approach that child of less than 10 as you would an adult who was un, you were unable to clear clinically. lead, um, likely with input from paediatrics about whether or not um, a, a CT scan or some form of imaging is, okay. is warranted. Okay. And what about their head? Is it the same guidelines for getting them a CT? It's slightly different. So for... Um, the indication for doing a, a CT head is if they've sustained a head injury, you should do a CT scan within one hour if any of the following risk factors have been identified. So, if you suspect that child's had a non accidental, um, particularly in, in babies, you worry about kind of shaken baby syndrome if, if we suspect that occurred. Any signs of post trauma A GCS of less than 14. Or well, for babies under one year, a GCS score, so the paediatric score of less than 15. Again, at two hours after the injury, if a GCS score is less than 15, any suspicion of an open or depressed skull fracture or a tense fontanelle. So if you are calling children, you should be able to feel the fontanelles, nice, soft and squishy. If they're tender, we need to consider a CT any sign of a basal scale fracture so similar to adults that hematimpanum panda eyes any signs of csf leakage or battle sign if there's any folkological and and this is the the key difference for in that kind of age category of children if they are under one years old and they have a bruise or swelling or laceration that is more than five centimeters the recommendation now is to do a ct
1: head scan wow okay So it's very similar to adults, a couple Mm. of differences on the GCS score. In children, there's also a second set of criteria,
0: whereby if you have more than one of these risk factors, so you would need two of these or more, you would then consider doing this. So these are, if there's been a loss of consciousness lasting more than five minutes, if the child's abnormally drowsy, if they've had three or more discrete episodes, there is a significant dangerous mechanism of if there's amnesia lasting for more than five or any current bleeding or clot order so if you have more than one of those the recommendation is ct this, this is
1: you need to take a good history you need to find out what happened and then you need to do the imaging that's required and the management is going to be sort of you know very wide isn't it depending on on what um, mm-hmm. it might be as simple as stopping some of their blood thinner if they've got a small uh, subdural for example that they need um to go to a to, to have sort of some sort of craniotomy um so we're not going to talk about management here i think it's it's, it's just too broad a, a, yeah, yeah. A, a, as as f1s as f2s you're going to need to be making sure someone's c-spine is clear you've you've um, immobilized that and then figuring out how you're going to image this patient is going to be the mainstay for you guys as F1s i think it's and fair f2s. To say
0: most trusts are needed. Um, have got quite good CT head guidance now. And within that CT head guidance, they do talk about the C-spine as well. So you're not having to look for both sets of guidance. They very much incorporate it into their CT head guidance because if you're worried about the head, you should be worried about the, the spine. Uh, there's this um, risk stratification tools for assessing people's C-spines. There's a pre-hospital tool used by the one that we use in hospital, as recommended by NICE, is called the CCR, or the Canadian Cervical Spinal Flow Diagrams. It's a really simple flow diagram that's really helpful when you're approaching. the um, And if you have an alert patient um, clinically assessing their C-spine, you would use this Canadian C-spine. So this is for alert patients with a GCS of 15 who I are see, stable. That's
1: a, a re- I'm looking at it now, so it's, it's easier certainly <laughs> to look at. So if you're listening, have, have a quick Google, the Canadian C-spine rule. It's, it's a really nice diagram. It's very simple. It's not like trying to figure out how to treat someone with DKA. No. Which um, is traditionally a very Nightmarish. poor guideline. Now, before Chad wraps up, I want to bore you a little bit with finding out where words have come from. That word's that for what? Is it because it's Latin? Why's that word called that word? It's dom- etymology. Now, if dom- etymology bores you, you can write in and you can let me know. You can email at redwoodramblings at and let me know exactly what you think. So I struggled to find something really interesting that was related to sort of the head or neck specifically. So I've delved a little deeper literally and physically into the brain to find a few interesting nuggets, or should I say almonds, of etymological wisdom. So first of all, the amygdala, which a lot of you might actually know this already. It comes from the Latin word for almond. Uh, That word is amygdalum, and that's because simply it's shaped like an almond. As we move out from the amygdala, we get to the thalamus. this is a bit more debatable, possibly coming from a Greek word that was used to describe the sleeping chamber or a storeroom, which was related to the layout of the thalamus in the brain, with relation to the layout of an ancient Greek house. But it's also possible that it relates to a Greek galley or a ship, and the rowers who were found deep in the ship, this area was known as the thalamitai, and it might actually relate to that and its relation to where it is and sort of its function as it was seen in ancient Greek. Now finally, the corpus callosum, which literally comes from the Latin meaning tough or hard body, so corpus meaning body and callosum meaning tough or hard, and if you think of the calluses you get on your hands or from someone being described as callous, this is because the early Greek anatomists thought that it was a supporting structure for the surrounding brain because it was so much tougher than the rest of the surrounding brain. That one's that for what? what? Is it because it's Latin? Why's that one called that word? It's dometymology. All right, Chad, I think you have um, absolutely nailed that one. So can we round off, go back to the questions? We'll go through those and see if I've learned anything and if I can answer them.
0: So first case, this is a 23-year-old Patient who presents to ED after a night of drinking. Two hours earlier, he fell from standing and was knocked unconscious. Friends report he had two minutes of seizure-type activity. He walked into the department and is keen home. His primary survey and A to E are unremarkable other than a two centimetre superficial laceration to his right temporal region. His GCS is 15 and he has no focal neurology what is the appropriate next step or potential options are a watch and wait for us b do a c head scan c ct head and neck so c spine d discharge with safety net advice
1: it's a tough one He's, he, he looks really well hmm. but from what i remember you, you you said he had some seizure activity and from what i can remember that I think any seizure activity was CT head within one, with, within one hour So I'm going to go going to go do a CT head And I, I'm going to say without the neck Because we, we just cleared his, his yep. C-spine I we?
0: completely agree, yeah So I'll do a CT head scan We've cleared his neck clinically As you say, his examination was absolutely fine He looks well But you would still do that CT head just to check
1: And that's purely because of this um, Purely because of the seizure Absolutely Okay
0: Question two an 84-year-old nursing home patient with an unwitnessed fall made of the bathroom she had dementia and is unable to recall the event of the fall She she's anticoagulated for AF she is distressed primary survey and A to E reveal no significant signs of injury what is the ne- next steps in management are a CT neck B immobilize the c-spine and assess c-spine clinically prior to imaging C, immobilize C-spine and perform CT head and neck. D, perform CT head and neck.
1: So similar to our case, isn't it really? We've got a patient who, unwitnessed fall, they are on anticoagulation. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna consider a CT head in this patient. They're, they're, um, And they seem to be somewhat distressed and we're not sure how off baseline that is for them. And as you said, we probably need to proceed with caution with regard to their spine. That's a tough, tough one to pick. The the answers. I I I I feel like I want to try and immobilise the C spine. I think it would. These are the kind of patients whereby you 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 lean on the. Um, I think
0: definitely would be a consideration of immobilising that C spine, but it's weighing up the risk of um, if if the process of immobilising the C spine is to be kind of riskier than allowing the patient to protect the C-spine themselves um, so definitely I, w- I would probably go for C and consider immobilize E-spine and definitely proceed with performing a CT head and, and neck but it's that decision about immobilizing the C-spine is probably going to be a discussion between you and your and your boss about um, the best way to manage that patient um, and then question three so a 32 year old lady presents to ED a fall two days earlier whilst walking her dog she recalls trim muddy bank Initially, she felt well, so did not proceed. She now reports a 12 hour history of pain in her neck and a mild headache that has not resolved with simple easier. She has no pain on lateral rotation of the neck and no more tenderness. Her A to E and neurological assessment are unremarkable. Her GCS is 15 and fundoscopy is unmarkable. What is the next step? So, A would be a CT head and neck, B, a CT head, C, Retinal photography. D discharge with safety net advice.
1: Okay, so we can clear a C spine. She's walked in. Mm-hmm. She's had delayed onset of neck pain, but it's not particularly bad. And she's got lateral flexion. She's got no midline tenderness, so we're clearing that. But what do we do with her? I mean, I want to CT her head, <laughs> but I can't find a good enough reason to. Um, I, I, unless I've I've thing. I I, I don't want to discharge her, but is is that really what we've got to do
0: I think so doing a really good a to e assessment doing a really good neural assessment having a look at the back of the eye is really important too, and documenting P Um if all of that is is clear all of that is quite really yes so these patients we do not have to do a CT head scan on we could consider discharging them with safe face the context of a 32-year-old who's got a bit of neck pain and a bit of a headache after a fall a couple of days ago, it's probably going to be um, um yeah. So I, I would be happy to discharge her with with
1: safety net advice. That's why you work in ED and I don't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be full up if I was on the front door. Right, fantastic. Well, Chad, you've you've done a great job there. Um, Thank very much. much. We've taken them through CT heads. When to do them? We've talked about how to look after a C spine, so I think these student's are going to go away knowing how to deal with a patient who's come in some sort of head injury. Happy? Absolutely. Well, it's just one thing to do. Let's say goodbye. Bye bye. Bye bye.